That's where the word, the beautiful word of style comes in. Fashion is mute without style. TTYA Talks, the podcast. Our guest today is a costume designer, creative director and all-round living legend within the music and fashion industry. She's responsible for some of hip-hop's most iconic looks seen on artists such as Missy Elliott, Jay-Z, Notorious B.I.G. and Mace and Diddy. Just a small, small, small taste of some of the calibre of work that she has been doing. Guys, this is iconic gist. Who remembers the Missy Elliott blow-up suit from The Rain? Like I said, iconic. She is currently the creative director of Women's Bar basketball for Puma. Guys, I'm excited to introduce June Ambrose. Hi June, welcome to TTYA Talks the podcast. How are you today? I'm good, good. Great to talk to you. Um, I'm so excited and thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you and I'm really excited to kind of really get into your icon living legend. So I'm excited to kind of get into the breakdown and like really, you know, dumb down on how your career has transitioned over time. Um, The purpose of this episode is about like, you know, transitioning and like how one career can potentially open a door into another. So really kind of excited to chop that up with you so before we kind of get into any of that I think I really want to kind of start at the beginning like tell us a little bit about where you grew up your family roots and culture all of that good stuff I mean it's exciting that we're speaking during the the celebration of 50 years of hip-hop because where I grew up um, is literally in the backyard of hip-hop in the South Bronx and you know coming over from Antigua in the West Indies um, and landing in this urban jungle that was filled with so many um, poets and symphonies. And you think about the beats on, you know, the beats that come, the, the percussions that come out of hip hop music and the lyricists that come out of hip hop music and culture. It was a great place to land and listen to the storytelling of what goes on, um, not only in their neighborhoods, but what their aspirations and dreams and aspirations were all about. So I've always been a dreamer from a very young age. I knew that growing up in the Bronx was not the, um, the the final stop, but it was the first stop. So it was just on my way, you know, on my journey and discovering um, what life had to offer. And I'm really kind of glad that it started there. I love that for you. I love that we're celebrating 50 years of hip hop because I think you've kind of really played a pivotal role in how that how that translated on the fashion back inside. And I'm excited for us to kind of talk a little bit into that because um, I think it's important that the next generation understand the importance of relationship building um, and how relationships um, have played maybe a key role in your relationships and your career journey. Um, So how have your kind of relationships and, you know, how have they played into your career today? You know, relationships are so important. I believe that you know, you're as good as your, not only your art and creativity but you know, and your resources, but your relationships and how you treat people and what you give out in the universe. I call it the universe um, is what you <laughs> receive back. And I think another big thing for me was, you know, knowing early in my career that I, that I was also creating an opportunity for others, um, amplifying voices that were, you know, that didn't have the opportunity to uh, to gain access the way I gain access. So from 
understanding how important it was to um, mold and 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 harness and develop young talent. I, I myself was young at the time. Next year marks 30 years. I've been incorporated in business. Wow. So, but I know that, you know, in that, along that way, I've created opportunities for other creatives through, um, through my relationships, through, through me maintaining and nurturing and building those relationships. Every job led and every opportunity led to something bigger and better. And I think it's so important that when you look back at, you know, your career, that you know that you, your intentions were pure and that you paved the way for others, not just artistically, but also financially and spiritually and creatively. And I think those are all the recipes to success. I love that. And I think for me, who's a big fan of your work, who loves hip hop music, who's seen some of the creativity that has come out of it, I'd love to maybe like get your opinion on how you feel like hip hop culture has served as a major influence to fashion. Because I think we live in a time now where there's a massive in, in intersection between the culture and fashion and music and art. And I guess, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear a bit more on how you see from a hip hop perspective that has really influenced fashion. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I think generation now just kind of thinks it's happening. But I, you know, I know because I've ex- I, I experienced it, the seeds that we planted back in the 90s and the seeds that were planted even before my time really afforded the creative privilege and the access and the doors that have been broken down and opened and the ceilings that have come off is because of the things that we, you know, the shoulders I stood on and then now others that are standing on the things that I've kind of really, I really championed. And one of the things that I was really big on championing was creative license, never having asked for permission to uh, storytell. And I look at, I've always looked at styling, um, costume designing as a vehicle of storytelling. And, you know, there's a difference between costume designing and styling. And I know a lot of people don't necessarily um, um, talk about that as much because they loop, they group everyone into stylists. But when I first started my career, I didn't have access to big fashion houses to just automatically start putting clothes together. You know, I, I I came from, for one, theater. So costume designing and character development was something that I was educated on and understood how important that, um, important of an aspect that was to storytelling and believability. So when I um, started my journey in the music, in the music space, I wanted to really bring that same concept and ideology over into, especially in the space that I landed, which was in Black music, which was in hip hop culture. Yeah, there were pop culture I, opportunities. I worked with boy bands. I worked with, you know, um, other genres of music other than hip hop. But I think the impact and the white space for me and the, the, the recognition came from what I did culturally in, um, in the hip hop space, in the hip hop music space and the R&B space. And partially because I wanted to develop those characters. I wanted to see the music um, bigger than than what the lyrical necessary the lyrical content may have been speaking about and it just because if it was a gangster like lyric doesn't mean that it couldn't look like 16th century you know byzantine or um you know victorian like you know um elegance that it couldn't look like high fashion and before the high fashion doors open i was custom couturing pieces because 
I didn't have a choice. And some of the imagery um, that we that I wanted to see and some of the things that alternatively would really kind of move the conversation forward didn't exist. So um, having to build costumes and create the image, i.e. Missy Elliott's blow-up suit, was indicative of the director Hype Williams' treatment. But then all the things that followed after that, like luxury sportswear, you know, doing leather jogging suits. So keeping the sportswear aesthetic, but, you know, marrying it with the luxury fabrics was culturally shifting and ground and, and, and groundbreaking. As simple as it may sound and seem and how obvious it is like now, but like taking metallic leather and putting it on a hip hop artist, Puffy and Mace, wasn't necessarily any anything that you have seen before it was brazen it was a risk taking but we didn't have social media to try to convince us that it was a risk and i think that you know some of those those creative licenses that we that that we you know kind of that paper that we wrote those images that stay embedded into the you know into the eyes of artists now today is because we took we took that risk we just did it and we didn't ask for permission to do it. And then high fashion started to recognize where are these like, you know, why is, you know, and then it became alternative pop culture music. MTV started playing the records. VH1 started playing the records. It wasn't just black entertainment television. And it became very commercialized. You saw consumers on the street wanting to emulate. You saw, and then gender neutrality and fluidity. Busta Rhymes was one of my muses in that space. We did some really avant-garde, over-the-top, um, you know, uh, music videos with Busta. And and I, the body of work that I did with Missy really kind of, I did nothing else in my career. I really feel like that book alone turned pages. The work that I did with Jay-Z from Inception is still continuing to work with, who I consider to be a sovereign of hip hop. Um, the work that we did there in terms of really kind of transforming how you saw young men who became businessmen. He was a CEO, he owned a label, what does that look like? You know, um, you know, his first suit, I designed a yellow linen suit. I wanted something very soft shoulder, i.e. Giorgio Armani. It wasn't like I could just pick up the phone and call Armani. I had to kind of start to kind of show and, and show um, what was in our heads creatively, what we felt we were, um, what we were worthy of. Uh, we just did it, you know, and then high fashion took notice. Then I, I remember, you know, reaching out to Jean-Paul Gaultier and, um, you know, fashion houses like IFA and, you know, having had that body of work as a reference is why they took notice and allowed us to eventually start pulling and collaborating. But hip hop artists were purchasing a lot of high fashion, you know, pieces very early and they made the investment into it. And then I think they just could not deny because the culture had grown so significantly that they just couldn't deny how big the music got. The music really eclipsed, I think, anything any of those high fashion houses could ever imagine because they just saw the faces. They didn't see the impact. And then it became colorless because you couldn't put a color on what was considered urban, which urban initially was black. Um, it was considered hip hop. You couldn't put a color on it anymore. It became as universally colorless as Oprah Winfrey, you know what I mean? It was just so, it became culture and everyone wanted to experience that cultural energy. The silhouettes became patterns, you know, and the silhouettes were the swag. It was the energy and the emotion and the ID to the character that was wearing it. I remember putting Nas in a Hugo Boss um, pink suit and my my female 
sunglasses and then he had white shoes on. And, you know, that was like a nod to like casino, you know, gangsters in Vegas. And, and I remember saying to him, thug it out. Now that saggy silhouette and how the things were being worn are now IDs and big fashion houses today. But those, I, I want people to understand and, and know that those silhouettes are emotions from the individuals that were wearing it. It was how they felt. It was a juxtaposition of what they, um, their attitude and their energy and whether they felt like, you know, as, as comfortable and carefree and vagabond and angry and um, rogue. Rebellious is a, is a, a huge word. I think that's where you started to kind of, you know, see these shapes formed. You know, saggy pants was something that came out of the prison system because they weren't allowed to wear belts. And if you think about that emotional mentality um, and the incarceration rate, no one talks about the true origin of why certain silhouettes look the way they look. Big fashion houses will said, well, I'm from the ghetto in Russia, or I grew up in the ghetto of, you know, these different um, creative directors and designers will explain why certain things are. But I know it to be what I saw growing up in the Bronx and then in other boroughs, Brooklyn, Queens, when you start to step outside and you learn culturally. Then you think about turbans, Buster Rhymes is wearing turbans and LeMay robes. You think about the beautiful tribes in Africa and all of the things that I think it's important to have context and know where certain things come from. Um, I want to pay homage to that in this year that we celebrate. I love that so much because I think for me, I've seen, I've been kind of working in the background within the fashion music space. I will say almost 18 years now, so quite a long time. Um, and I've really seen the shift. So everything that you're saying is resonating with me so much because I remember working with artists 18 years ago and no fashion houses wanted them to sit front row at shows. No, everything that you're saying, there was no such thing as like loan outs that like we had to buy all the product, return it, like find our ways to make it work. And I almost feel like that added to your creativity because you had to make it work, right? By any means necessary, which often meant either designing it yourself or bringing your own visions to life. So everything that you're saying, I just remember and how now everything under the culture umbrella now allows, you know, these high fashion brands to be able to leverage in and lean in. And sometimes not it will majority of the time, there's no backstory. Right. And now our artists do sit front row and they have gained a certain privilege. But I mean, they're doing co-branded collaborations. even. I exactly. Mean. Exactly. The way things have really moved, I think positively. Um, in some breaths, but also there's still, because I can look at the Afrobeats space now, for example, and, you know, only maybe now there, there's a bit of groundbreaking with a few artists and we'll get into some that maybe have quite walked in your shows. But I just feel like for me, um, it's very interesting, everything that you've just said, because yes, things have changed, but are they where they should be? Absolutely not. But have they come a long way? 100%. And I make, you know, that kind of brings me on to, to my next question on you mentioned Hype Williams and collaborating with, and I, and I, and it's keen because when I first saw your debut collection and seen that you worked with Hype Williams, I thought that's so great because it was two worlds that existed prior to now. And I always feel like we still need to school new gen. New gen always needs a bit of schooling because sometimes they're seeing things for the first time and they don't know the history 
history of where it was, what, what, where it came from. So how was it? How did you and Hype first collaborate together? And what was the importance of bringing him back to work on your debut collection with Puma? Oh, wow. Um, so I've known Hype for... I met him when he was an art director and he was painting sets and he wasn't directing as yet. And I was a dancer. Puppy recently reminded me of that because <laughs> um, that's when we first met. Um, and I wasn't a great dancer, so I knew it was going to be very short-lived. But it definitely <laughs> helped me to understand. One door opens the next. <laughs> yeah, like J-Lo and I were doing music videos together. And let's just put it this way. J-Lo was definitely the star. Um, I ended up in the back on the cutting room floor. Uh, but just being in the room and understanding the dynamics of how things work was very important. And, you know, Hype Williams, um, you know, we came up together in a sense, you know, and when he started um, getting, when we reconnected and he started getting music videos, I was, I went off and was doing editorial stuff. And from the time I met him and then I came back and he gave me a shot. He gave me an opportunity to, you know, to work on, on his, on his earlier videos. And I remember working on a, um, I remember working on a, um, a DMX video with him and I, my energy was so high. He thought I was on drugs because I was just so excited to just be doing something I love. And he looked at me, he was like, are you high? And I'm like, no, I'm happy. I'm like, this is so cool. Like, I still love what I do. I still have so much fun doing what I do. Um, maybe that's partially because I worked corporate America and I know what it's like to be miserable um, and have a job and be paid to stay in check. Um, but just being able to have this unique opportunity to, you know, have musicians as your muses was such, I didn't, ne I never took it for granted. And Hype loved my worth ethics. He loved how I dealt with the subjects. He loved how I thought bigger. Um, he believed in me. I believed in him. We supported each other. We collaborated all the way through. We would always bounce ideas off each other. And he knew he could trust me with written details and I would be able to you know, bring them into real life and make them and realize them for him. So that became a codependency. And, you know, we had just, it was no music video that we weren't doing together. It was just like, he would get a job, a call from the record label and he was like, June has to do it. And that was it. I remember when I got called to do Missy Elliott, it was because Hype got called to do Missy Elliott. And Sylvia Rome, you know, bless her, she gave me a shot and she invested in, you know, our ideas and our creativity and, and you know, I owe her such a, I'm so indebted to her because she was so generous with really setting us up to win and giving us what we needed to do these music videos. And she's such a pioneer. So I have to give her a shout out. Um, but, you know, it was, it was, it was how disruptive and unapologetic Hype and I were back then. We were so out of control and we were doing like at the height, four music videos a month. And that's a lot. You know, it's like we were doubling up. I had to, you know, my crews, like I would literally have to be two places at one time and hype would give me no breathers. I was like, you know, it's just like, oh, my God. And people, you know, the client wanted to see me. It wasn't like I could just pass it off initially. It's not until I kind of just like really built and molded my team to where they could I could oversee something and they could literally, um, you know, finish it off execute, or cover yeah. for me or whatever, execute. But. Um, I had an army and it was fantastic and we were able to really monopolize and do a lot of great things. Um, but I was very hands-on and I just, I'm still very hands-on. I think it's so important creatively. You know, I'm not the girl that's just going to, you know, sit at my desk and make a phone call or send an email. 
send me look 10, send me look, I'm not that girl. Like I'm in the garment district, I'm shopping fabrics. I'm in tangent to having to start, maybe creatively style something. I have to also design and create it too as well. I think there's something about inception. So when, you know, when I was asked to do the Puma runway show, and we'll talk about that, you know, people thought that I was just like, oh, you know, they called you to style it. And I was just like, there was so much that went into that project. There was so much that um, I contributed to that. And I really loved that I got to tap into, you know, creating and developing, um, you know, designs and concepts from, you know, from the mood boards to this, you know, to the sourcing and working with the technical teams to, you know, to bring them in, to bring the, you know, the product to fruition on the runway was what I love to do. It's old hat. Yeah, so I, I'm so grateful for that opportunity because it was, so reminiscent of all the things that really um, inspired me throughout my career. And I got to bring that, create a music video in a, in a, on a runway space. Well, I want to get into Puma now because, you know, I think it's important that we, we, we kind of tell everyone like how you transitioned because, um, well, one I want to, to, to touch upon, let's start at the beginning. Like how did the actual opportunity come about? Yeah. And I want to speak about transitioning because every I get asked a lot about like, oh, okay, I started a brand. Then I was like kind of working back end in marketing. Then I was doing like, you know, front of house with artists. And I'm saying like one job doesn't define who you are. And actually some some jobs give you the skills that you the skill sets that you need to go into the next chapter of your life without you even realizing it. So I'd love to really get into your actual position as creative director on Puma and like how the actual position came about and what made you actually want to take that position. Yeah, I think that you always have to challenge yourself throughout your career. And I always did things that made me uncomfortable. And but just going back for a second, because you asked in the last section of the interview, you asked, why did I um, go back to hype when I was launching? um, And we'll talk about it, I think, in this section. um, Why when I was launching the women's basketball division for Puma. So um, my, you know, my partner actually, um, my partner, Mark, actually reached out to Jay and and said, you know, I know you're at Puma. I think it'd be a great opportunity, um, you know, that you consider, you know, working with June in that space as well. And Jay and I had worked together from inception and he knows the contribution in which um, in, in which I had worked with him and how I had served and what I had the work that I've done in 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 pop culture and hip hop culture in itself. And when we talked about the brand wanting to launch a women's division that hadn't been, you know, proven concept yet. He felt that I was well positioned. Both Jay-Z and Emery Jones agreed that I'd be well positioned to take this on. I met with Adam Petrick, who's the CMO, and he actually said to me, this is what we have in mind. These are our plans. Would you be into it? Would you be up for it? And I said, this is a kind of white space I always look for, the opportunities that I always look for, places where I can make a difference and have impact. Um, now, I had worked with, years ago with Missy, I was creative director at Adidas with her, with her Respect Me collection. And it was so many years ago that we don't, we hardly really talk about it, but I think it's important to talk about it now because it's, we're talking about a path, right? And something that is uh, a, a space that I had lived in and had worked within it, and I understood what the responsibilities were and what I needed to do to go about it. Now, yes, Missy was an established artist and it was different, but she was one of the first co-branded collabs in the music business with a sports brand. There were no, all the things you're seeing now, 
the Yeezys and the Pharrells and all that kind of stuff. This was, this came way after what we had did with Missy in the early days and the early 2000s and with that particular brand. So coming full circle and having an opportunity to do it with, with Puma and it's a different time, um, but it's still in terms of having to forecast and, and create what that IP was going to be to separate what that image was for the artists and the brand was somewhat very similar to the artist being women's basketball, establishing what that IP, that visual conversation was going to be, was on court, off court. And also respecting the the, the strengths of, and leaning in on the strengths of, of Puma. You know, they are rooted in sports. They have a tremendous, tremendous, they have tremendous credibility in um, footwear. They're, you know, in terms of, um, and, you know, they're the founding fathers of, you know, the basketball sneaker, you know, Walt Clyde Frazier, you know, and even in, in, in the tennis space, they were Serena Williams' first endorsement deal. So they understand how to, um, how to really build, develop, and nurture um, relationships with partners, whether it's an athlete or partners such as myself and and Jay and you know and and other artists that they've partnered with over the years. They definitely, um, I felt like this was a great place to go back into the space again and work on the next chapter of my career. And the timing of it was so ideally perfect. I signed um, at at the top of the, at just as we went into the pandemic and I was able to work and develop the storytelling and the conversation for high court for the women's basketball launch. It was a little challenging working with the, you know, with the technical design team and stuff through Zooms, having to wait for swatches, having to do things. I'm a very tactile. So for me, it just took a little, you know, it took us a little bit longer, but being still and being focused and really tapping into my AI, my authentic intelligence was super key in helping to find the voice of that woman, who she was and give her and give her credence, make her matter, you know, give her a voice and use that platform to amplify the conversation on the inequalities that were happening in the space that the, you know, that the, the male basketball players were flying private and our girls were flying commercial, that, that, that not enough people were attending the games and that the ticket sales were different from, you know, the, you know, the bigger, the NBA conversation. So really, you know, having these provoking thought provoking conversations and also laying, setting the landscape for our players. We launched after we launched um, high court, Brianna Stewart was birthed and she was the first um, basketball sneaker that the brand that was the, the goal in its in itself that I was able to create to set it off so that the, our female athletes Brianna Stewart and then um, we had um, uh, Skylar Diggins who launched her co-branded collab so it was just really just kicking it off you know for the girls through a style lens so that they weren't just seen as athletes but they were also seen as lifestyle life is a sport we play to win women. We play hard and I wanted to celebrate them. I thought it was, I felt good about the way it was well-received. The sell-throughs were tremendous. We we were able to um, create the noise and, and the enthusiasm that we needed to, to launch this division. And you and I have got to work together. <laughs> and then I, yeah, and then I said, I'm going to tap back into someone who I've had success with. And because it was new and because I started with him, I felt it was um, serendipitous 
to, um, you know, to do that. And it was another great part of the storytelling that we tapped back into someone who was culturally aware and understood how important it was for inclusivity. That that rolls me into my next question of talking about the next stage for me from what was visible from what we saw post that was the show and New York Fashion Week. Um, and I really want to get into the whole Future Grade kind of collection and the work that went into it because like you, you touched upon it earlier and people thought maybe you, you just styled the, sh- the show, they didn't really understand from concept. So give us a little bit of like the top and the back end and then even just what it, the whole work process of bringing the whole fashion show together New York like we saw Davido we saw Hussein Bolt we saw Winnie Harlow walk the runway but you know I think it really amplified it and it really solidified everything you say about you know being multifaceted and bringing in the culture into the design process and into the forward-facing runway show but give us a bit more on the back end because that's the bit that I'm really interested in and the bit that I kind of want to shine the light on that people might not necessarily get to see yeah well the brand had three um, very important um, pillars that they wanted to hit. One was um, tech, um, you know, the NFT space, being part of that conversation, um, launching that. Also um, amplifying our um, select better specialty business, fashion, get us into the fashion conversation. And then also including their athletes in the fashion space and really leaning into forever faster, how progressive the brand is, um, how important it was for us to be seen as life is a sport. Um, performance and style was, was a very key component. The, the, the creative team that they bought in for all the visuals and being able to work with Futro and work on the, uh, work on that coming up with the name Futro grade, which was very, very important because it really kind of, um, solidified. It's like the future, the future of retro. And we were going to, what we, what I was able to do is kind of break it up into pillars. So I got the original treatment from the creative team and then started to try to realize it in how does that translate onto the runway? So I said, we wanted to start from retro because T7 classics was very important to the brand. And they really wanted to lean in on really identifying that we've been in the classic space that, you know, that one stripe was just as relevant as any other stripes and, um, and how um, elevated and um, much of an iconic moment that was. So we started to show off with the past. Then we lived in the present, really focusing on streetwear and focusing on current product and then also amplifying that current product. So I had custom design pieces in, in the beginning um, mixed in with, we had runway pieces that were uh, newly created that was mixed in with ready-to-wear pieces that were going to be available to purchase then and then and they're ready to buy. So it was a real, it was less of a run, traditional runway show and more of an experience. And then we closed out the show and, you know, and mixed in with that, we had dance and we had these dance numbers. So we had the Puma armies and I had two um, separate custom runway design dance, really stage looks that I created for those two armies of dancers one was T7 and then one was the future. And, and the future we talked about, we really showed um, things that were very kind of just out there. I brought back the blow up suit, in a, you know, with the Puma cat on the back. And there was a lot of things with technology and lighting and, and fabrications that were very um, the future of, of sportswear. And that was really a lot of fun because it felt like a music video and it was kind of wacky in a sense. 
Um, but it was just really to kind of create energy and create enthusiasm and consumer awareness in in the in the fashion space. So I was very hands-on from casting to the ideation of, you know, from the mood boarding of each of those, what those looks were going to be, to all the technical nuances of fabrics and cut lines and um, working with my illustration teams and bringing those into, we had, we bought an atelier into the studio. We had a separate studio. It was important also that, you know, as a German company coming to New York to show, we wanted to really support um, New York, New York garment district, and everything was made in, in New York city. And I thought it was, it was challenging, but it was definitely, um, I felt an important give back because coming out of the pandemic, we lost so many artisans, we lost so many factories. And this really kind of started to create that enthusiasm for us supporting fashion, you know, fashion week coming back after the, after the pandemic, you know, so much so that press wrote about it because it was a comeback. And the casting was, you know, really important, you know, bringing, you know, the hair and makeup teams together. Um, we, you know, um, worked with an incredible casting director, um, Roger Innes, um, Boom Productions. And, you know, collaborating in that way was just, um, it made a difference because who we had on the runway also said how much, um, you know, um, relevancy, like the, the models that walked in our show really wanted to do it with us. And that was super important. It sent a message. We had models that had done very big, you know, very, very big shows. And we opened up with them and we had all shapes and sizes and um, gender. And there was neutral conversations throughout the show. There was, we didn't even, there was so many really groundbreaking, significant moments, I think, that you know that I felt was important to capture and cover, and it was a it was a team effort. It was a team effort. I mean, I had an army and a tremendous amount of support from the brand and the team that I assembled. I think one thing that really stood out to me, and I saw some bits on behind the scenes on on socials, was how diverse the back of house team was as well. From like you know people were great, like from the hairstyles that were done, like just really authentically the people that you brought in to support on the project back of house. And I think a lot of the times now with brands, it's so important about who is authentically working behind the scenes. And I think one thing for me that I've kind of seen with all the work and the people that you've re brought in and amplified those those voices were sometimes the people who were not always allowed to be in those spaces or you know what it's like you know culturally front of house you know a lot of brands now are diverse and putting the right models on the runway show but I think for me one thing that's always stood out creatively and for me watching your journey from afar is just how authentic behind the scenes is as well from what like you said about working with the right ateliers to making sure you have the right hair and makeup for the models that you're going to be using just all the finer details for me has what's really stood out and one thing that I really am in awe of as I watch you <laughs> back of I'm not your biggest fan here but like I'm fangirling at the moment but I think it's especially for everything that you spoke about and what you stand for I think your back of house always matches your front of house as well yeah the messaging was super key i had an incredible um you know communications team amalia um samara and her team did a uh, ibrahim and her team did an amazing job at really curating and and making sure that the messaging was consistent and and how we wanted to support 
Um, and I think all that makes a big difference. For sure. So your next collection is due. Dun, dun, dun. It's celebrating the 50 years. This year's actually celebrating 50 years of hip hop and it's kind of paying homage to that. Tell us about your inspiration. Give us some insights. I know this is, this is going to drop around the same time. So guys, we've got a bit of exclusive here. So yes, give us, give us the, give us, give us the gist. <laughs> I'm really excited that I get to drop my first co-branded collaboration with the brand celebrating the 50 years of hip hop where my um, contribution to the culture um, was celebrated as well. So I feel like to have consumer goods that really kind of um, kind of just like organically um, speaks to through silhouettes and romantic parochial colors to then retro um, nylon tracksuits with um, more collegiate like energy, um, mixing sports and style. You know, I did a maxi midi um, breakaway uh, nylon skirt that um, and this is this collection is being is is sitting within the um, Puma basketball hoops um, division but I feel like it truly also speaks to the sports style um, space as well and um, I think um, not only that we read I redefined that blue and burgundy is the new black but then going into the next, the second drop, and we broke it up into two drops. So it was a 22 piece co um, uh, collection. And then the second drop, the colors are definitely more bold. And But it's just the old school, like retro hip hop from the high top sneakers, you know, to the, to, you know, to the, um, to the low tops that are really kind of a nod to classics, Puma classics and reimagining them, I think makes a big deal. Yeah, the slipstream. I bought back the slipstream. Um, uh, we have the um, uh, I have uh, a, a reversible bomber. That's really cool. I just believe in also convertibles and giving and having pieces that are sell up. So with the reversible bomber, you get a trench a trench vest that goes underneath it um, that you can wear by itself. It's a hooded trench vest, and then if you're wearing your bomb and it starts to rain. You can flip it inside out and there's nylon on the other side, which I think is super, super, super cool. So there's like some really, I'm always looking for ways, you know, for, and I, I like to infuse style by the design. So there's like automatically the design is already styled out. So if you feel like, oh, I'm not that stylish, it already has cool factor. Just put it on. You don't have to try to, you know, I, you don't have to try to reimagine it, but I cannot wait to see, you know, women wear it with their khakis, women wear it with like, you know, in so many different ways with their sports bras and then, you know, cross pollinating the first drop with the second drop. I think it's going to be really cool. Um, so I'm excited about it. I'd love to hear more a little bit more about like your hope for the future of streetwear fashion and women in the fashion industry, because you've really made it <laughs> for me anyway, you've met, you've, you, you've done it. it so effortlessly in combining your heritage like you said and retro but also being a woman of the future and in so i would love to hear more about how you hope that streetwear and fashion and women in the industry moving forward what you would like to see um i definitely would love to see more female representation in the creative director space you know we've seen we're and we celebrate and support all the young men that are, you know, newly gained these new positions and these high places. Um, but I would still say there's a famine of women. Um, um, I'd, I'd love to see 
more coalitions of them, more community engagement of those female creative voices coming together. Um, I think we have work to do. Um, I think that we will continue to grow individual brands, see new brands being birthed, um, as well as heritage brands being reimagined. Um, I think there's um, cult, the culture has shifted um, the, the landscape so much. You know, they when I was in Paris last, there was rumor, oh, streetwear is dead. You know, design houses are moving away from streetwear. Well, that would mean they've been moving away from that young consumer that's carrying the brand. So I don't see that really happening, to be honest. Um, and streetwear is, it, it's, it's not a, it shouldn't be a visual thing, you know, because when you think about how hip hop artists have evolved their looks from baggy to straight to tight to European silhouettes, I mean, they're constantly reinventing themselves. So you can't say that you're you're stepping away from streetwear because streetwear, the energy and the and the and the characters that live within that space is only gonna they're gonna take what you're giving and remix it and show you how to. That's where the word the beautiful word of style comes in. Fashion is mute without style. Mm. Oh, we love that. Da -na -na -na. That's that could be. <laughs> Da -da -da -da. Boom, drop, drop a smile. <laughs> Fashion is mute without style. Yes, uh, we love that. Who are some of your sporting heroes? Um, Jackie Joyner, um, Clive, Walt Clive Frazier, Serena Williams, um, Michael Jordan. <laughs> I have to be, to be honest. Um, but you know, um, yeah, I mean, I've always there. We've had some really uh, some greats. We've had some some great greats, and I think um, the space that we're moving into now, and like just seeing how you know now the culture of you know basketball is really translated. It used to be very US focused, and I think now even from seeing like some of their recent collaboration, NBA Africa, like you know generating into new genres, into new demographics. Like like you said, everything's always evolving and recycled so i'll be interested to kind of see where where the sport kind of moves next um i want to talk a little bit more about just you and the amazingness that surrounds you and your aura every time i see you out it's like a ray of sunshine i always see you with your daughter i've just seen you come back go to milan and on socials how do you achieve a good work-life balance i pace myself you know i um i give myself grace and for the things that I can't get accomplished in one day, I know I pray for it tomorrow. Um, I think that, um, you know, self-care is super key. I, I put myself first so that I can take care of everybody else. And I think that's really kind of the secret ingredient, you know, living a healthy, clean life, um, being a good individual with purpose and integrity. And um, I think that good things happen to good people. Um, I, I, those are the kind of, you know, um, things that I want my, both my, my, my children to know that, that the universe rewards you for the things that you, you give it. And, um, in order to receive, you have to give, it's just the tide you play in life that you pay in life. And I, I think spending time with family, um, you know, I traveled a lot while the kids were growing up and early, they were always with me. 
And during the pandemic, we got to really all reconnect as a family and just realize and, and really kind of clean out the clutter and think about the things that are needed in life and what's not needed. I think we all kind of reevaluated our lives and started to put it first because we realized how precious they were. And um, I know that um, everything that I'm doing and working for is for, you know, my, my, the next generation, my children, my legacy, what they will then, when I'm no longer on earth, what, what they will be able to always feel me and know me and remember me. And you will know that I was here because we all move on, you know, um, but what, it, what we leave behind is what gives our life significance. And to close out, I just have some quick fire questions. Fire, 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 fire. Okay. Favourite city in the world? Uh, <laughs> Paris. Favourite food to eat? Uh, broccoli. <laughs> what do you do to relax in your spare time? Baths. I love a bath. Favourite hobby? Um, roller skating. <laughs> and what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Dream with your eyes open. I love that. Oh, June, this has been so amazing. Honestly, like, I'm not even trying to fangirl here. Like, I've been, I've watched you for many, 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 many years. And I've always been inspired by you, inspired by your creativity and just inspired by, like, just seeing the rooms that you're in sometimes I'm like you're always the only girl and she's just bossing it and just owning it and yes and I just just you know from and I'm from South London I grew up born and raised South London and I think to watch someone like you who's navigated through the industry and still till today like where you're at now and still dreaming and still curating and still it just inspires me so much and I just want to just say thank you. That's all I can do because I don't know, you've impacted me in more ways than you can in ever imagine. And I just watch you from afar and I still am just so inundated by like just how amazing you are and how you kind of still continue to like keep your key messaging and creativity and, and, and give that much of yourself to the world. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for your time. Thank you for uh, just allowing no, us to have you. this conversation. And for those of who, whoever is not following you. June Ambrose. Across all platforms. <laughs> we love that. We appreciate you. And I can't wait to see the new collection. I've seen a preview guys. It's given. That's all I'm going to say. It's given. It's given. It's given. It's, it's given, it's given. So thank you so much. We're coming back to London. We're coming back to London. Yay! Well, if guys, it's your girl Irene TTYA. It's been June Ambrose and we out, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please spread the word. Rate, review, subscribe, all of that good stuff. For any questions, please also feel free to send me a signal on Instagram or Twitter on the handles at Irene TTYA or at TTYA Talks.